Hello, and welcome to the Order of Initiative. This is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast where me and my friends talk about DMing and everything you could want to know about running your game. I'm Charles, and with me today I have Nathan. Hello, hello. And Willis. Hello. Today, we're talking about Beholders. But before we get into it, we're going to roll initiative to see who talks first. Thirteen. Four. Ooh. Sorry. I forgot to prepare my die. God damn it. Eleven. I feel like I've been getting them a lot recently. Beholders are one of the most iconic D&D creatures, if not the most, at least in terms of a creature like specific to the setting. Because they don't... I mean, it originated in D&D, right? I don't know anywhere else I've seen them. I believe they're yeah. the original. I, I read that it was... Um, I forget the guy's name, but um, some guy that played in Gary Guy Gygax's campaign um, created it, and then Gygax threw it into... Greyhawk, I believe, is the first setting that it officially re- appeared in. Yeah, I think it started officially appearing in second edition. Does that line up with Greyhawk? They're not I like have no idea. I don't I don't think they pre they go all the way back to first edition, but they're still pretty old. And like their design is great, honestly. Just visually, they're fairly simple, but they're different to pretty much any other creature you're gonna find. I like them a lot. They're so iconic that they actually adorn the cover of the fifth edition monster manual so you've probably seen one even if you didn't know what it was um they are so weird when it comes to their lore in like a really fascinating way that i think opens up so many avenues for how you can use them and what shit they can be stirring in your campaign they're like these incredibly xenophobic arrogant (laughs) alien creatures that just think that that they not not just they don't just think beholders are better than everything else. They think they specifically are better than any everything else. Oh yeah, like yeah, including other beholders. Yes. Yeah, it stresses constantly that they hate other beholders and are constantly trying to eradicate every other beholder except itself. That's hilarious. Which is really awkward because they reproduce by like if they dream in their dreams if they dream of another beholder that that beholder in their dream becomes reality just poofs into existence. Yeah. Uh, and well, then that's... they have to murder each other. <laughs> they gotta. I mean, you gotta. There's no other you option. Got that's probably the, the aspect of Beholders I like the most, is that they have this sort of innate ability to warp reality around them. So, and that, you know, that dreaming of a Beholder, if it just starts thinking about one, it can will one into existence. But it has a lot of other minor ways it can do that. And I kind of, I don't know if this is the intent, but I prefer to think about it, that feature... As something the Beholder's not totally aware of, because I feel like they would weaponize it more if they did. But the implication, to me at least, has always seemed to be that they they aren't 100% aware of it. It's just something their weird mind does, naturally. That's sort of my understanding. or Either that or, like, um, they don't have control over it, and so maybe they are aware oh, of yeah. it, but they have to keep... they they. It's sort of like... Uh, literally anything that they think of has has this chance to become reality so they have to so they can't really utilize it because yeah they have to be very careful not to you know create other beholders i mean you tell you tell someone don't think about a pink elephant <laughs> you're right they think about a big joke sonny i'm thinking about a green elephant I can't, I'm, ru- <laughs> I'm ruined 
<laughs> while we're talking about Beholder's thinking, I, while I was doing research for this, I ran across, it was like the anatomy of a Beholder. Um, and a couple things, they actually dive into how they reproduce other than just thinking of other Beholders and their brains and how their brains work. Apparently there's actually two entities that exist within a Beholder's mind. And that's why they're so crazy and paranoid is because one half of their brain is literally hiding stuff from the other half of their brain. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. I love that. Uh-huh. Do, and uh, what, where did you read about this? Uh, this was on uh, Forgotten Realms Wikipedia. It, uh, I could try and look it up and see if I can find the book that it came from. Um, well, that's okay. I'll, I'll check it yeah, out later. Just later. Um, but if you just like Google Beholder lore, it's like the first thing that comes up. I never really um, thought of like justifying their weird mental behavior. Mm -hmm. But I like that. The the other thing that it dove into is how they can, how they reproduce like, and I think it's like, it's like a spontaneous asexual reproduction where they're <laughs> Like, they have, like, a sack in the back of their mouth oh. that's, like, I guess essentially a womb, and it just, they, at a certain age, just become pregnant, and then it, like, swells up and makes, it, like, they get even more paranoid, and eventually it just, like, gets so big that they can't eat anymore, so they vomit it up and bite it off, and oh. then there's just, like, a bunch of tiny beholders now. This is all appropriately weird for Beholder. <laughs> so weird. And the, the, the other thing is, they will pick the one that looks the most like themselves to raise <laughs> as their um, offspring, and then it either eats or shuns the rest. Shoves? Shuns. Oh, shuns. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a nightmare. I'm picturing, like, you know, like, when crabs give birth and there's just, like, a fucking thousand of them scurrying around? <laughs> yeah. Actually, or octopus. I, I, I'm specifically thinking of crabs because there's this really weird video, metal as fuck video of this crab. Just, there's, like, thousands of little baby crabs running around her and she just keeps picking them up, like, three or four at a time and eating them. <laughs> like this is how i picture a beholder birth going as well <laughs> like you pick one and then you just start eating the rest yep yep i i feel like in fifth edition at least from what i could find there's not really a lot of a lot given to us for what the initial origin of beholders are um like it, it mentions dreaming dream birthing another one and then there's this as well the like weird gross give birth to a thousand but it doesn't really talk about where the first one came from. Do you guys have any headcanons about that? Um, yeah, so they're, for me, they're classified as aberrations. Um, I don't know if they've always been that way or, or what, but um, they're, they're sort of an alien creature. So to me, they come from space. They're kind of like mind flayers and other, yeah. um, other worldly entities that they just either like a rift between worlds opened and they came through or my less less favorite option magic spaceships yeah magic spaceships 
aberrations typically have one of a couple origins. Either they are from space or, as it's referred to in, in, in D&D canon, typically as the far realm, where all these yeah. alien terrifying abomination comes from. Or Basically they're... Love, Lovecraft dimension. Yeah. Or they're created, uh, oftentimes by a mad wizard of the material plane who thought, you know, it'd be, you know, it'd be really cool, really cool. This is this giant floating creature covered in eyeballs that shoots mind-ending rays <laughs> at the blink of an eye. Um, and uh, so it, it's, without really like a true origin to go on, it's probably one of these. But I haven't, I haven't looked in Volos in a while, and maybe it says something about where they come from. Uh, I, I I read the passage on them pretty thoroughly, and I believe there's there's nothing really said about it. I think when I'm presenting them in my own campaign, I would probably never address it because oh, I think course. they're more they're more interesting if they're just weird nebulous origin. For the sake of my own brain, I feel the need to come up with some explanation, and I think I kind of like the idea of eons ago there being some explore expedition or humanoids trapped in the far realms who had a shared nightmare. Of a creature, and the first beholder was literally birthed from multiple minds dreaming of the same thing and willing it into reality. And from that point, it was sort of a self-fulfilling, uh, reproductive nightmare creature. I dig that. It's sort of like a like a hybrid between sort of the, the two, the the creation, the far realm thing. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very. Even then, I, I would never. I don't know. I still wouldn't feel the need to like nail that down as concrete canon because probably a legend that, that you know some people yeah. maybe tell is like but you know there's no verifiable evidence of this legends are always more fun i feel like once you like say this is what happened this is the origin of this crazy alien it's like it kind of makes it a bit too like real or tangible in a way that actually might discredit the creature but it's 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 fun to have legends something i really enjoyed about beholders as well is the book stresses that they can come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Like some can have more like insect-like um, segments to their body or have vastly different colors. And honestly, I kind of, I, I feel like most creatures should be represented in that way in D&D. Like it's not Pokemon where every single one is like, looks the exact same way. I feel like there should be variety, but it makes probably the most sense with Beholder's when there's so so much of their being is tied to their mental state. So I, I think it's quite fun to go wild with beholders. I think all you really need is like the basic shape of a big head with a central eye and a mouth and then a bunch of eye stalks. Otherwise, just flavor them like crazy. Cover one in feathers. Uh, Willis and I were talking before the podcast. I quite like the idea of one with eye stalks that are, are more like arms that have hands that are grasping the eyes. Oh, that's gross. Uh, I, I had a, I had an idea for one who has a bunch of tiny little almost centipede like legs on the underside of it, so it can technically land even though it mostly floats and then it just kind of scuttles around. They're all nasty. <laughs> I mean, you know, when when you're playing around with aberrations, the name of the game is to make them as gross as possible. Oh yeah, you gotta gotta oh, yeah. be alien and un, un unknowable, unthinkable, unseeable. I think it could also be fun to to have a beholder who is always gradually shifting their appearance either by choice or not like if there's a beholder who maybe he someone brings a a rare exotic centipede to it and then the next day he's got a bunch of little centipede legs 
did he choose that <laughs> did, was he just thinking about it a lot and it happened naturally i don't know but just like the things in their environment uh influencing their appearance i think is it could be fun can also mess around with stuff like if 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 you do sort of have them sort of generally shifting or not that can impact their could impact their stats or anything as well like you oh, know yeah. maybe uh, maybe they do get legs of some kind and you give them like a five foot walking speed. It really, really doesn't yeah. do anything. For Not them a lot. If, you know, you're, you're throwing stuff on their stat sheet or, or maybe more specifically if, if they get that, they also get like this insect like carapace and get a little bit more natural armor. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. You're talking about, they're just like their mind influencing their appearance. And I just, I don't know why my, the first place my mind went is like a beholder that's like just woken up in the morning and is just like, very very like tired and just wearing a bathrobe <laughs> and like a cup of coffee and it's just like it doesn't it, it doesn't own a bathrobe but but it has one yeah it has one now because it knows that people do that in the mornings yeah i i was imagining like you know how like you, you're kind of just sort of like dead and like really really out of it when you wake up like a yeah. beholder that is sort of in that state but because they have you know this limited psychic control over their form like, you know, somebody walks in on the beholder out just, you know, after it's woken up and they just immediately go insane by this, this, this creature that, you know, hasn't, hasn't, you know, doesn't have this conscious control over its form yet. And it's like made up of this impossible geometry, uh, oh, unfathomable yeah. appearance and it's just impossible to gaze upon because he it, it just woke up. He's, you know, he's got <laughs> some slack. He's got to put his face on. <laughs> it's it seems funny because i had a very similar thought but i went the totally opposite direction where when a beholder wakes up it would be almost like a perfect sphere with very little <laughs> shape to it whatsoever and as as the day goes whatever he's experiencing kind of influences how he looks so by the end of the day he's actually like fully formed and probably looks different than he did yesterday but i think i like your idea more <laughs> so what you're saying is the best time to fight a beholder is right when it's woken up and it has, doesn't have any its eyes formed yet yeah yeah <laughs> or like baby beholders are just like perfectly round beach balls with an eye and a mouth <laughs> I'm, I'm getting i'm getting oblivion vibes we got to memorize its schedule oh, man. attack it when the time is right feel, oh man i feel like you know there's this is why beholders are so interesting to me because their mind is their greatest strength and biggest weakness at the same time i think especially if you have creative players because the book stresses often how intelligent they are and how because they're so incredibly paranoid they have plans on top of plans on top of fallback plans and it even said like if you if the party shows up with a, an army of imprisoned demons on war elephants the beholder has a plan for that because it foresaw that outcome that's hilarious <laughs> i love the idea that like they're so paranoid you can't ever really surprise them but at the same time i feel like you sh it would be really interesting to have the party weaponize that weaponize the fact that they think so much weaponize the fact that they can warp reality and themselves the idea i had was like say the party starts forging documents um that need to be delivered to this beholder because these do these research documents from an ancient wizard reveal that beholders are deathly allergic to chicken feathers <laughs> and if you get that in front of the beholder and the beholder believes it it's going to 
like become allergic to yes, chicken feathers. It will it will <laughs> unintentionally will itself to be deathly allergic to chicken feathers. I think that's a hilarious way to to deal with a beholder that's not just, you know, direct combat. I I would yes. love to see more stuff like that. That's 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 a dangerous tool you could use like outside of uh just um just you know fighting the beholder though too like it orcs in um warhammer 40k have a sort of a similar thing yes. they have like they have a collective uh, uh psychic will where they just you know any subconscious belief that they have influences the reality around them so and i know i'm getting off uh, uh subject a little bit but like i was thinking about them too they're they're, they're pretty related yeah because yeah. they they believe that red is the fastest color so they paint all, a lot of the vehicles <laughs> red and they go faster mm-hmm. and so you know, yeah. if you've got this beholder that, you know, can just will subtle things into reality, you could you could just do that forge documents thing for whatever the heck you want and see if you can't just like affect your local environment in a in a in a helpful way. I'm just sort of imagining like having like maybe it maybe it's the Xanathar and you're in water deep and you're like, God, I really wish that the price of uh of of a flower was, you know, down like five cents. You know, we could save a whole lot on our on our bakery business. I'll just forge some letters and send them to the Xanathar. That is a great <laughs> plan. And just reduce the price of flour and water deep. I don't know some wacky stuff like that. You, you know what would be an amazing pairing with the, the Xanathar or some other powerful beholder is a basically like a fake newspaper, <laughs> Liter- literal literal fake news where it's entirely like printed, and every morning this, this beholder is delivered a entire newspaper of maybe not like straight up falsehoods, but at least wrong enough that the beholder could nudge these things into reality like you were saying nathan like local man inherits fortune from from deceased uncle and then sure enough that guy gets a bunch of gold delivered to his house my uncle died i didn't even know i I had an uncle (laughs) yep yep this is this is why beholders are so interesting to me because like Honestly, their their combat is is fun too, but there's I feel like there's so much potential the players and the DM have when you have a a creature that warps reality. I think another great pairing would be I think it's the Kuatoa that oh, have that collective. Oh god, it's kind of like the the orcs where the, if they if they all believe a thing, it becomes real. Um, I think it's more just, specifically that they can create gods by all worshiping it yeah yeah which i mean how you use it how the beholder interacts with that because i I feel like beholders already think so highly of themselves yeah and then if some kuotoa started worshiping one that's a hell of a feedback loop like jesus (laughs) talk about an unnecessary ego boost (laughs) (laughs) that's that's like a devastating combination I feel like more things should be weaponizing Kuwatoa, honestly. I did a um my campaign from a long time ago. I was I was gonna run a, a Halloween session where I was, this was gonna be my first attempt at horror, where the villain was going to turn out to be a, a Kuwatoa god of vengeance that they had created after their kind had been systematically slaughtered by Drow. I love didn't it. end up working out though. <laughs> did, well, as in I didn't get to play it, so I don't know how. Ah, that okay. Worked. Is it just me or are beholders like? inherently a little doofy like don't get me oh, wrong absolutely. i love them but it's hard to take one 100 percent seriously it has taken uh when was like 50 years 
for um, the you know beholders to take on like an actually menacing looking appearance. Like if you look at like their their <laughs> yeah. first second edition art, those things look f- fucking silly. Yeah, uh, there's, yeah. Been, there's been a lot of time and effort devoted to trying to give them the menace that they probably deserve. I think. I don't. I don't know if that's the right route for beholders. Well, in a sense, yes and no. I think. I think I view them as like a Sunday morning cartoon villain because they're so over the top, like just ridiculous in every way. They're insanely powerful, but they're also borderline mad. Like they're they're basically insane. They're incredibly paranoid. They have everything set up for them to, to justify being that type of villain who kills a henchman for burning his toast. Right? Like that is a hundred percent in character for a beholder. As far as I'm convinced, because mm-hmm. especially because uh, they're convinced everyone's trying to kill them, everyone's plotting to kill to 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 assassinate them. So if a henchman burns his toast, it's just gonna zap a disintegration ray right at him because he was trying to kill him. He's trying to get him to choke on the on the burnt toast. Yeah. But he's trying to hide the scent of poison in my bread. Yeah, like I feel like if you had a human or at least a humanoid villain that was doing that, it'd be kind of like okay, yeah, like it's it's kind of. It doesn't feel very realistic, but I feel like it's fine. Like it, as a beholder, it's hilarious. Of course, this floating head with a bunch of eyeballs is going to be like insane and like barely able to function in society. Mm-hmm. I'm also realizing, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like they're basically D and D job of the hut. At, at least Xanathar. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're definitely used because they're so paranoid and good at making plans and things like that. Powerful. They make yeah. great leaders of like thieves guilds, um, like assassin guild, just like yeah, shadowy spy organizations. It's a big gross monster as the head of a criminal underbelly, and I just and I realized last night this is just Job of the Hut, but with eye lasers. I, I don't know. I think it's a good thing. I don't know if if you could choke out a beholder. <laughs> well, he's got doesn't have a neck. Yeah. <laughs> when when I when, when when I'm running around in Waterdeep, I know like whenever the Xanathar Guild comes up, it's it's always sort of like I don't I don't remember if you know the if society or if Waterdeep in in canon knows that the Xanathar Guild is run by a beholder. So I always you know don't. But I, I can never help but keep that in mind. It's like, do I really want to fuck with this guild? I mean, <laughs> if I, if, do I really want to like get involved? I mean, one, it's a criminal organization. But you know, you know, two. But like, if I if I if I am actually doing well, then slowly but steadily, I'm gonna have to deal with higher and higher ranks of them. That that culminates oh, yeah. in a beholder. Do I really want to get yeah. involved with that right now? For for what it's worth, uh, pretty much no one, even within the organization, knows that the Xanathar is a beholder. Gotcha. Yeah. So so and, it's it's mostly just me trying not to metagame, but also think. You know, how do you not metagame? Like, I don't really want to deal with the yeah. beholder right now or in the future. <laughs> I was thinking that too. I kind of wish I didn't know because that seems like a really fun twist. And I feel like unless you have very new players, you're you're gonna have a hard time finding people that don't know. I mean, we got a whole Xanathar source is. book named after it. Yeah, so. he's mm-hmm. on the cover. <laughs> yeah. Just because we're on the topic of the Xanathar, I think he he's such a fun blueprint for a social beholder because you can have some that are just living off in dungeons by themselves, muttering to themselves and paranoid that everyone's trying to kill them. But like, that doesn't seem as interesting as one that actually is influencing the world directly is actually has its, I don't know, 
its its tendrils into society and is paranoid of real people trying to kill it. Um, I also just love the the little fact about Xanathar that he is super attached to his pet goldfish. Like, yeah, which have that, changed oh, periodically gonna, over time. Oh, I was gonna get oh, to yeah. like it's it's a fun little flair to add to this incredibly powerful, incredibly insane being. He's super attached to a goldfish. That's a fun weakness. It's a fun like character trait to have. And as, like Nathan said, uh, that goldfish is not the same goldfish that started. I think it's gone through very many. And I, the people that work for Xanathar are constantly worried he's going to find out that he's gone through, like, seven goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, every time it dies, they're just like, oh, God. Oh, oh, oh fuck. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. oh quick. Oh, we got to replace it. <laughs> Everybody panic. panic. This this is the fun, like, um, paradox, uh, like, paradox-like nature of a beholder where they're meant to be insanely intelligent, but he has not figured out that goldfish that lived, like, two years has lasted, like, 20. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. So, that was great. I, it definitely adds to that sort of goofy, uh, con- like you know, Saturday morning cartoon yeah. villain thing you were talking about. I think I, I think you're they they 100 have that vibe. Yeah, beholders as a bad guy are great, but beholders as a um, patron, I think are like that would be so much fun if you've got a beholder that's sending you out on missions. Like somebody sent this beholder a document that said that they're deathly allergic to chicken feathers <laughs> and now they they're like i need you to go out and destroy every chicken <laughs> and get rid of all the chicken feathers <laughs> oh i love that. chickens must be eradicated yes <laughs> i i love the idea there being a bunch of flyers up in the city calling for mm-hmm. the death of all chickens and the more more paranoid this beholder gets and afraid of chickens it becomes the more like powerful chickens become just oh. Oh. somehow like at first you're just killing chickens and by the end they're full-on t-rexes that you're fighting that's hilarious i love that Th- that's like the fun man there's so many fun quests you can set up with with a well, oh yeah move like switching or uh manipulating reality henchmen what are the throw pillows in the Lobby stuffed with feathers, sir? What kind of feathers? <laughs> Just every other week, the entire organization is in chaos because some so, he's convinced something else is going to kill him. That's so oh, fun. It's, it's also fun because, like, if a beholder is warping reality and starts becoming convinced chickens will kill them, so then chickens become more powerful, he's getting, like, a positive feedback like it's just confirming his fears right if there are now reports mm-hmm. of monster chickens attacking people it's like i told you i told you they were going to kill me <laughs> it's confirmation bias yeah exactly just don't ever tell a beholder that the earth is flat because if a beholder becomes a flat earther oh god well that's actually <laughs> I, not I, so I bad think... in my campaign setting where it is flat don't tell them the, <laughs> don't tell them the word is a sphere because that's going to make problems too honestly I don't. I don't think the the beholders are going to be high level reality warpers. I think like maybe if like every beholder started to believe it and they could you know influence everything, but I, I feel like they've got like sort of short range. They can sort of yeah. in, influence their immediate surroundings. Yeah. Unless maybe you've got that one with a a cult of Kuatoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that, that that one becomes an Avengers level threat. I feel like we're writing up a, a campaign setting right now. Where there's this beholder with Kuatoa who and his his reality warping powers are getting stronger and stronger to the point where it's starting to affect like the entire continent. 
you know, I was actually, I was just thinking about a good setting for a one shot where uh, the players are trapped in a beholder dream. Ooh. And I don't know, just where, where you go (laughs) the whole time. They, they, they know it's a dream the whole time. They think they're just trying to get out of a dream. And then they realize that it was a beholder dream. And the things that happened were like real sort of. There's a lot you could do there. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll circle weird, back around to it. <laughs> well, when you get to weird dream beholder magic, yeah, uh, there's a lot of possibilities. I, I still, I feel like, I feel like they're wasted if they're not in a social setting. Maybe I'm just mm. like really particular to Xanathar because I, I would assume in older editions, they're just you know a boss at the end of a dungeon. I mean, that's but, that's typically what most monsters served as in older editions. Yeah. But if they can warp reality, I, there's so much more potential in social situations, I feel, at least. I, I As someone who's not too super familiar with the lore, I'm not in 100% positive they had a lot of the uh, a lot of this stuff earlier on. I, I feel like, especially initially, they were probably just big ball of eyes that shoot oh, lasers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But that, like as, as the game has developed and as their lore has developed and uh, everything about them, I think they've definitely gained some potential as, as, as good social villains. Uh, and like, e- like even if you are just putting them at the end of a dungeon somewhere, I think that you know that dungeon should probably have some impact. They they may, they've got some some sort of operation running out of it that, that they can use. I think I think that's um, with I, I I mean like if you're if you're running a Saturday cartoon villain Saturday morning cartoon <laughs> villain, you, you got to have the henchman. It's, yeah. I mean I want to I want to mm-hmm. see Cobra Commander in your game. <laughs> he's got to have <laughs> some sort of little empire he's running. Oh yeah. Just so you could run interludes with it, just shrieking at these hapless henchmen that don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's um a lot of like variants to the Beholder, um that are technically individual monsters. I probably won't break down all of them, but I just appreciate that we've got Gazers, Specters, Goth, Death Kiss, and Death Tyrant, which, along with the Beholder itself, pretty much means at any given level, your party could um could deal with something beholder adjacent um because mm-hmm. the the gazers are like one third cr or maybe one half they're fairly low but they pretty much with all of them they kind of cover the whole spectrum especially if you start pairing them up um that's just something i like i i don't think every monster needs that but it's certainly nice that you could plug in an appropriate level beholder threat for any party mm-hmm. the the other thing that they can do is um the beholder kin where if they it's 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 similar to them dreaming of a beholder and spawning one but it it's not quite a beholder there's um maybe they they dream that they got turned into a human and then you end up with i forget what they're called but they're they're just like like a human body just without the head and there's an eye in the torso and gross like there's um trees with like a mouth on the trunk and like the branches all have eyes at the end of them oh my uh, god and just like so many different like beholder like things um that are like they'll have like one or two of their eye powers or something like that but yeah that's a that's a good way to you know set one up uh i had an idea for a campaign where there's all these weird creatures coming out of a cave and this town is being harassed by these creatures 
and um, they follow this trail of creatures back to a sleeping beholder that is um, actually benevolent. But when it sleeps, it creates these creatures that like wreak havoc. And uh, it would be oh, interesting, like, how do the players deal with this benevolent creature that's unintentionally ruining people's lives? Yeah. Like, that that's another situation where I think it just encourages creative thinking that's not directly combat. Because when you have these mm-hmm. creatures that are unknowingly shaping reality, that what, do you, what do you do with that? There's so much you could try to do. I was thinking, when you mentioned these weird beholder can, that maybe because beholders revere themselves so much and think they're like the pinnacle of of evolution Mm -hmm. maybe they are trying to make things more like themselves like they're literally trying to shape things in their own image and you should be grateful because i'm i'm giving you a step closer to perfection by putting an eyeball on your chest yep yep i'm making you better yeah helping yeah that could be fun in in i think it was volos it talked about certain kind of personality traits a beholder might have um one that really amused me was the idea of one who lets assassination attempts happen because it's bored so <laughs> I, I had this image of a beholder who's just like floating above his throne because he doesn't sit but he still has a throne he's just floating above it like kind of droopy and looking sad and then an assassin comes in with a with a dagger and without looking he just blasts him with a ray and then just sighs <laughs> like he knew it was or, coming, he let it happen, but he was hoping for something more challenging. And Yeah, or, or like it comes in, he's like, oh no, an assassin, <laughs> whatever will I do? <laughs> Dead. I, I was imagining like, like mega mind levels of theater and stuff, like, oh my <laughs> nemesis, you've arrived in my bastion, what are you planning to do? <laughs> the Arl battle will be legendary. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, a small iron dagger. How did you know my weakness? My one weakness. Knives. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, small knives. <laughs> Your time is at an end, Beholder. And he let, gives him like, you know, ten seconds of monologue, then zap. And then I think we get the yeah. like we still get the sigh. Oh uh, god, yes. I and in a similar vein, I want I want a beholder who like hires the land's greatest hero to like but the beholder like has proxies where he, he hired this great hero to kill an evil tyrant which is himself and the, the hero <laughs> shows up and then the beholder kills him right away because he knew he was coming but then the beholder just soaks in all that glory and just everyone knows the beholder's full of shit but he just kind of makes everyone praise him for it i love the idea of the beholder constantly setting himself up for success and then just demanding praise for it <laughs> There's, that's this, great. Yeah, this is why I love beholders because they're so, they're so, they're so weird. You know what they kind of remind me of? Um, I don't remember the name of the episode, but there's a classic Twilight Zone episode about a town that's being ruled by this kid with godlike powers. I think I've seen that one. It, it's 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 classic. It's great. Like he can, I think he like takes away people's mouths if they yell at him. And he Wait, t- what show is this again? Twilight Zone. Twilight. Oh, okay, yeah. He he's actually when people like uh really piss him off he like turns them into scarecrows and puts them in a field. It's it's terrifying, but it reminds me of like the same kind of thing. If you want to go maybe a creepier route with beholders, where like they're insanely powerful, they're also borderline insane themselves, and you really have to tiptoe around not pissing them off because with a, a single thought they could disintegrate you. 
mm-hmm. th- that's a real a really fun aspect to go as well if i i think they're maybe a bit too goofy for this but if you wanted to go serious i think that would be the kind of route to go one that's so unpredictable that you never know what's going to set it off i mean i think that mm-hmm. still works really well with them being goofy it just sort of adds this extra level of, of tension and terror to any interaction with them there's still yeah. these i mean like there's 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 a certain level of comedy of of the henchman walking in with this, you know <laughs> with this plate of tea it says uh my my lord i've i've brought you uh your tea for the day uh two sugar cubes two <laughs> <laughs> zap i wanted oolong <laughs> but like he ordered earl gray and then changed his mind while he was gone and never told anyone <laughs> how did you not know <laughs> shit like that oh, foolish humans can't <laughs> understand my mind he does then drink the tea of course like, oh absolutely in a, in a single swick <laughs> oh man i really want to run a beholder now just because they're i feel like you can get away with so much so much weird bullshit so speaking of running a beholder, do you guys want hey. to talk about their combat abilities? I would love to talk about oh their God, combat yes, abilities. Please. I love that um, in this edition, at least, they included um, a list of customizable eye abilities because I was reading through their default list and I was just like, nah, I don't like that one. I don't like that one either. Don't like that one. <laughs> don't like that one. <laughs> I don't I don't mind their default stuff. Um, I think there's a lot of variety. I think my, my biggest... The, the biggest thing I enjoy about running them in combat is they're they're not they're they're not difficult to run at all. You really don't have to do that much prep work. Just know that they shoot lasers at people because the way the, their 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 main ability is these eye lasers. You roll to see which one shoots out. It shoots out three randomly, and then you target people. You don't have to memorize every single one. You don't even have to pick which one you're doing because it's all random, and that's honestly really nice because i think they have like 10 different lasers they can shoot if you're having to choose every time it would bog down combat so i actually appreciate that it's kind of hands-off mm-hmm. and it would feel very like because i think they have three that deal damage default wise yeah and they're all in the range of like 40 to 50 i think on yeah. average damage and if if you're like disintegrate 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 <laughs> yeah well their stat block says that they can't use the same eye ability more than once on a turn but if you're using all three of their damage rays which i would feel like would make a lot of sense it's gonna feel kind of i don't know yeah like it targeted yeah i don't i don't even i don't even think if i think if they're just rolling their damage rays they'd be incredibly weak i think that they're yeah that's and incredibly boring too. It's just like, well, now we're just doing a damage oh, yeah. race. Yeah. If you're just you're like randomly rolling paralysis or sleep or petrification, I mean, they 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 become so much more dangerous if they can just lock people down as they randomly go along. Mm-hmm. Especially because they're probably locking down the spellcaster already. Oh yeah, yeah. And that was the other end of the spectrum that I was thinking was that if if their petrification, paralyze, and uh, charm or whatever all hit on the same turn they're like you're just you're just trying to disable us like you know yeah i think it's fun because like um i believe you roll and then depend you know you see what ray you're using and then you choose the target so you still do still have some like tactics mm-hmm. you can bring and like choosing which players are targets and that's fun um but you can i even think throw that... them all at one one of them 
Oh yeah, if you're an mm-hmm. asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> there the, the, the definitely just... could be situations for it. I think it's fun cuz like it it does a good job of of um simulating the kind of inherent chaos and unpredictability uh, that a beholder has because there's not really any way to prep for a fight with them because there's so many things you can they can throw at you. Like in general, yeah, you'll need to pass a lot of saving throws. But you never know which ray is coming your way, and I kind of like that they're really hard to plan for. Mm-hmm. Better have a couple greater restorations on hand, because <laughs> oh, if, yeah. if your cleric's the one that gets hit by petrification, you might have a problem. Yeah. The other thing is their defensive capabilities are pretty significant, because they, they float 20 feet, or they can float 20 feet off the ground, and they have an AC, a natural AC of uh 18 yeah um which i mean they are like cr14 or something like that but like it just all of a sudden your the the casters are getting disabled by this anti-magic ray out of their big eye and the um uh your marshals if they're you know close range fighters they just could you know float out of their reach and that leaves only, you know, the, the ranged marshals to hit them. And they've still got a pretty formidable AC. Yeah. They're almost more like an environmental hazard, I feel like, because the, the tactic is always just they can they float up and then their eye stalk rays have 120 foot range. That's pretty fucking far. So and I feel like they're smart enough to like construct a battle room where they can float up to the top pretty much completely out of range of most things except maybe arrows and spells and then and of just... course it's 150 meters in radius yeah <laughs> and mm-hmm. then just start blasting with these eye rays and i f- they have they technically have a bite attack but you're not really going to use that unless they're in a super desperate situation so mm-hmm. I, I think they are kind of intended to be almost like a a hazard rather than a real enemy I mean, obviously, they're enemy, but you know, you know what I mean. Like, they're just a problem to be dealt with and work around and try to take down, rather than like, I don't know. I guess they're still really an enemy, but maybe you know what I mean. They're an unpredictable hazard. It with a, with a little bit of conscious control. I mean, they're still picking yeah. their targets. They just don't immediately know what they'll be targeting them with. For sure. They have another uh, another fun aspect, which is the anti magic cone. This is my favorite. This is so, mm-hmm. so nasty. Like, the rest of their their stuff would be bad enough. They can basically cast... Um, it's effectively the anti-magic field, which nullifies all magical effects. It also turns any magical items inert. Anything, I think, except for artifact-level weapons, um, which your party... I mean, usually parties don't have too many of. This thing's only AC... Uh, sorry, CR-13. So I wouldn't imagine mm-hmm. you're rocking too many artifacts by this point, but it, it totally cancels out spells. It cancels out magic items. That's a really hard thing to deal with. The only saving grace is that it affects its own eye stocks as well. And, and the important thing to note is that this isn't something that it casts. This is something that it just does. Yeah. And at 150 feet, that's going to be covering like a good you know quarter, good fifth of most battlefields. If, if it's constructing its own battle room, you better believe it's not going to make it more than 150 feet in radius. So then it just chills at the center. Which does mean that uh, if you're at the very edge of that of that cone, you're out of range of its eye rays. But 
Um, I mean, it can't cast its IRAs on you in general. And if you're, I think if you're about a um, hundred, uh, if you're if you're seven squares into it, uh, or so like thirty, uh, no, not seven. If you're se- if you're seventy five feet into it, you can't go out horizontally. You don't have enough r- space uh, move to root room to move with your normal movement. Uh, and if you're uh, 130 feet in, you just can't get out with normal movement, even diagonals. Uh, That's nasty. So you can, mm-hmm. and sure, you can't use your iris on anything in it, but is the caster that's chilling at the back of uh, your uh, cone really a problem that needs to be dealt with with iris at this time? Yeah, exactly. Like, you just, just glare at the wizard. They're completely shut down, and then focus all your rays on the barbarian or the fighter or whoever. Which does mm-hmm. definitely feel bad if you've only got, like, the one spellcaster in the party, because they're going to have to get real creative real fast, uh, or they're not going to be doing anything the whole fight. But then again, like Willa said, this guy's going to be floating um, several feet off the ground, so the melee marshals don't really have anything that they can do to get into it as well. So it's definitely a situation where you've got an entire party worth of people that are probably completely shut down at this point. They're going to have to figure something out. I feel like I would be happy to make the a beholder incredibly gullible so like in that situation if a wizard's being locked down and they need to get the pressure off of him i kind of like the idea of someone else in the party just very loudly going quickly arm the magic nuke and they just have some like useless device that looks like a bomb but it isn't so the beholder <laughs> freaks out and starts glaring at it i know and then it becomes a bomb <laughs> i don't even think about that it would actually explode yeah i was thinking like the fighter could be like you fool you've you haven't considered my innate magical potential and the boulder's yeah. like no you are the fool i've predicted this for the whole start and then you know of course glares right at him the fighter starts floating <laughs> <laughs> yeah Oh, uh, yeah, but just, like, I know the book stresses how smart they are, but I, I think I prefer the idea that they're very gullible. Well, I mean, it's because, you know, if you predict something that they have have a contingent, contingency for, it, something they've already considered, uh, and so when it comes up, they're, you know, they're so happy that they were right, and they, the contingency gets to be used. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's also, there's just so many other uh, other big creatures that are, like, they're the smarterest thing ever. Like, abolis and dragons and mind flares are all supposed to be in- incredibly intelligent i want to have at least one big villain that's just kind of not stupid but very gullible yeah beholders in my opinion are things that you have to build up and your players need to have a plan before facing one or unless they're really really good at thinking on their feet if, yeah. if you go in without a plan I, the beholders have so many ways to shut down each and every class that oh yeah that could be very bad and this is just like the the beholder on its own we should talk about stuff to pair it up with we talked about the kuotoa which is honestly hilarious um hot hot take maybe not so hot take with all those other variants of beholders i actually don't think you should be pairing them up in the same fight um gazers and spectators are fun to like maybe leading up to a beholder fight but I don't think they're very interesting in the same fight because the lesser beholders just have like beholder abilities, but less of them. So it's not going to be especially interesting. I think to have a beholder that's shooting out 10 kinds of rays and then a spectator that's shooting out five kinds of rays, especially when there's a lot of overlap. 
I uh-huh. think I think fun combat always, or at least often, comes down to the variety in enemies, and having a lesser version of the main enemy is not terribly interesting to me. Especially if they're, the if they both roll, uh, like a paralyzing ray. Exactly. Or something like the that. main beholder is is likely to repeat a ray once or twice, and if there's another thing repeating rays, it's just it's just kind of more the same. I think a good, a really good option is Xanathar would be a great example. He's got a criminal organization under him, so like cultists or or criminals or whatever his henchmen are would be, you know, great in yeah. addition to the fight, especially spellcasters. I think spellcasters are fantastic additions to Beholder fights because they add another level t- uh, of 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 things you need to think about in the fight, and they give the players uh, another option available to try and help them out. If the Beholder has an ally allied wizard, it's going to be well, honestly, the Beholder might not all, all that care that much, but, you know, m- mechanically, strategically, is not going to be wanting to point its eye ray at it because it has it there for the purpose of, all right, I locked down their spellcaster, but my spellcaster is over here and can do what the hell it wants because it's not in the eye ray, which is dangerous because the Beholder does have that power now. But if you're the spellcaster, go stand next to their spellcaster. And that exactly. becomes a sort of another tool in your arsenal that you get to use. I, I love that, honestly. I think initially, yeah, the Beholder would be trying to avoid it, but if you piss it off or otherwise bait it, I think it's going to be fairly easy for it to catch its own spellcasters with that anti-magic field. Yep, and that sort of, that just, you know, you're, gives you that opportunity to shut down their spellcaster and save yours, and it just, it adds a lot more uh, dynamic to the fight, a fight that is going to typically be, okay, put wizard in cone, shoot lasers <laughs> at everyone else. You know what else is fun about that? It once again goes along with that vibe of like Sunday morning cartoon. Because I feel like most times their own arrogance or own abilities are their own downfall. And that's just just, just a perfect example of that. I love that idea. You idiot! You stood <laughs> in my gaze! You looked at me! That's it! You get the disintegration ray later! Oh! <laughs> also, I'm so sorry for people that listen to this podcast to go to sleep. I know I'm being horrible. <laughs> I love the use of illusions against beholders. Oh, oh, god! It's like what you were saying with their like how gullible they are, and like if they believe something that it can be real, and it just I, I feel like illusions against a beholder are a very interesting uh, combination. I feel they, like they're a very dangerous combination because there's a spell like I'm thinking of Phantasmal Force, which if the target fails the save there it says like you are convinced it's real and you see like a specter and like you can summon something like with a sword and if it stabs the target the brain sort of makes the pain real that's a really bad combination for a beholder because say you cast phantasmal force and summon i don't know like a dragon or something if the beholder thinks it's real you know you'll that you then end the spell but the dragon's still in the room uh-oh. Yeah. It's also, like, particularly <laughs> potent, because Phantasmal Force also has a, a clause basically saying, yeah, if you, you know, make somebody think that there's a bridge going over the river and they try and walk over it, fall in and get wet, they're gonna be like, ah, oh, there was a puddle in the bridge. That's right. Oh, yeah. It's like, there's, there's just this, this permanent coping mechanism, so it's just, like, I mean, that spell in particular is just, don't, oh, God. It's almost, yeah. like, made to throw at a beholder and make it permanent. <laughs> Who, who, really you know, who'd have thunk, you don't need to get to, you know, the, the capstone evolutionist wizard. Just go fight a beholder. Yeah. <laughs> it I, I does feel the like, same thing. 
I feel like you could get away with that with pretty much any level of illusion spell as long as the beholder fails to save. Because if it thinks it's real, now it's real. There you go. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, while we we started this part of the conversation, I was like, oh man, but, you know, legendary resistances could take that fun away. Then I realized, wait a minute, this is going to backfire spectacularly. Let's not use it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a real dragon. And the dragon, once your spell ends, it starts sprouting eye stalks and an eye in its center, and it's going crazy. Time to does go. The, does the beholder have legendary resistances? He sure it does. Do. Wait, do it? Does it? I don't. Hold on. It has le- its legendary actions or eye rates. I actually don't. Layer think... actions, regional effects. Yeah, I actually don't think it fun. has. I don't think it has the resistances. But hey, we weren't going to use them anyway because. But I mean, it it does no, have plus it... eight, plus seven, and plus eight again on its yeah. intelligence, wisdom, and charisma saving throws. See, see though, that's how you get stunning strike for five turns. So mm. I I say that's true. I say nay. I mean, unless unless it just flies out of range of it. Players have ways of getting around that, especially monks. Yeah. There's another form of beholders, which I think are, are, are fun. The death tyrant, which is basically... I, I think it's uh, it comes about if a beholder dreams of dying or transcending death. It becomes like a floating skull with a bunch of little points of light around it representing the eye stalks. It's fairly similar to the normal beholder, except instead of an ma- uh, anti-magic cone... It has a negative energy cone, which, if it kills humanoids, resurrects them. And let me tell you... uh, You also can't regenerate within that field. Yeah, can't get health back. Really nasty effects, and believe me, as soon as, like, the party is losing members and the enemy is gaining them, uh, that's a bad time. That's a death spiral. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's, There's a lot of fun things you can do with boulders. The, um death's kiss are like mini beholders that come about when the beholder dreams of blood and the books talks about how those might come about if one's been grievously wounded so if your party has an encounter with a beholder doesn't quite kill it and it escapes it's probably going to produce a lot of death kisses there's there's so much that happens to the beholder can lead to new encounters and new plot points i think that's a really fun aspect of them yeah, you sort of like there's a lot of tools here and a lot of lot of creatures and, and lore that you can you can do a lot to play around with with basically literally just a thought uh, and I, I, the beholders give you a lot of flexibility and versatility to do those sort of things one mm-hmm. one aspect of beholders that I would be happy to implement that the book doesn't talk about um, it, kind of like an inherent weakness I would want to give them where if a party member, asked to specifically target an eye stock i would probably give eye stocks individual acs that are higher than 18 honestly probably closer to 20 with a small enough uh you know health pool and if they manage to destroy one that beholder can no longer shoot that specific eye ray anymore the stock has been cut off maybe it'll regrow later but at least in this combat you have disabled that specific eye ray i yes so i like that idea in theory but I, I think there, you know, I definitely need to do some tinkering to get it to a balanced state. Because, I mean, if it, for one, uh, like I've, I've mentioned this before, five E doesn't really have a great system for called shots. No. And mm-hmm. two, if you if it's if it's too easy, then you can shut down a beholder in a matter of turns. I mean, there's ten rays. Presumably, we've got a party of four or five. If uh, 
all if, if all goes well in one round, you could have a Beholder's combat capabilities in a single round, which can turn a, what should be a challenging, exciting, and dynamic fight into a trivial one. You could. I'm also remembering now that my, my own rule for this is not just increasing the, the AC. It becomes di- di- uh, called shots or disadvantage. And I would I would probably give it like each eye stalk its own health um, pool, which is separate from the Beholder itself. So maybe it's got like 50 health points. And if you take it down and do 50 points of damage, the base Beholder did not take that damage. It's still rocking the 180, whatever it has. Yeah, I think there's a way it could be it, it could be fun. It can probably be done, and I, I might I might allow it. I I might like, but it's just, like I said, like fifty damage at, at the point where you're fighting a CR thirteen is nothing. That's true. It's also yeah. not like something I would advertise to them, you know, except on a podcast where I'm talking about it. But if if I'm just saying, if a player asked if they could, it'd be like, hell yeah, go for it. Yeah, definitely something that I I, I have mixed feelings on because I do think it's cool. I think. Um, it, it adds more interesting levels to the fight, but it's definitely something you have to be very careful of to prevent from getting out of control because you could just death spiral your death tyrant. Yeah. And I, I know that I the death tyrant doesn't actually have the stocks, but I like the idea of the the, the word play anyway. Hey, how you guys, how you guys doing? <laughs> well, I know what you mean. Fighting <laughs> that, that good middle ground between risk and reward can be hard. I, I, I definitely like encouraging uh, creative combat decisions from my players it's it's definitely a creature i would be like the most open to my players weird suggestions because i I just kind of hope they would understand they can weaponize its own mind you know i think you gotta you'd probably have to allude to them that 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 is something they can do oh yeah like i i like have to feed them information of some capacity like maybe maybe like their first interaction with the creatures from a uh from like a more of a negotiation standpoint like they like uh have to go meet it for the first time uh to hash out some shady deal and like while they're there every sort of errant stray thought that this this beholder maybe is thinking out loud some manifests itself in the room some weird way sort of i was i was thinking like it meets an old maybe not an old ally that it knew but maybe someone it knew of like a you know like a fighter that's been interrupting its supply lines it's or like doing drug busts and he's thrown before the beholder's feet. The beholder's like, I thought you had a beard. And the guy's like, I no, I don't have a beard. But then he grows one. Liar. And, the, and he, he's just like grabbing at his face. Like, what the fuck? How did I get a beard? He's like, I, I knew you had one. I knew it. You lied to me. That is the final him. straw. <laughs> he kills him because he lied about his beard. Not because he's been doing drug busts. <laughs> I want to talk about their lairs a little bit. I think we've talked on previous episodes about how I at least personally struggle with putting too many traps or puzzles into a dungeon that's meant to be someone's home because at a certain point you have to go, well, this wizard's just fucking crazy because he has 17 traps in his hallway or he just really doesn't mind having a two hour commute from his bedroom to his bathroom. (laughs) But this totally works with beholders because not only are they fucking crazy, they can float around. As soon as you have a creature that can just levitate around, you can put as many floor traps as you want. And it's great because the henchmen are probably constantly stepping in them. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that's the fun. other thing that it mentions about beholder layers is that they're often um, built vertically. Yeah. Um, and that so because they can just float around and they can just float to the different levels and it makes 
just traversing a beholder layer like just getting around becomes a challenge now yeah kind of like a mind flare colonies Mm -hmm. same kind of issue i feel like with beholders i'd be willing to throw the party somewhat of a, a bone because maybe it would be set up for henchmen to move around it probably wouldn't be like osha compliant there's no handrails but maybe there's the occasional <laughs> ladder that's falling apart <laughs> with a a suspiciously brown puddle at the bottom reddish brown puddle it's made of henchmen i'm definitely imagining like the boulder like hovering floating through its lair and uncovers uh, a henchman or two just impaled upon some <laughs> trap that it has and just sort of sort of glowers it's so hard to find good help these days <laughs> useless i i'm just like i don't know why this popped into my head but um thinking about henchmen for a beholder and their ability to shape reality you guys remember those thumb guys from spy kids i oh wish God. i didn't it's fucking thumb thumbs <laughs> i just i lo- i like to imagine those as like beholder henchmen i hate that i mean it checks out i just got the idea of like once you start working for this organization, say you're like a like a middle-aged kind of like fat dude with receding hairline and a big belly, and you start to notice that your hair is getting darker and fuller and your, your beard's going away, and you realize that everyone else that works here kind of looks the same. And just working <laughs> here, the Beholder's mind kind of gradually warps everyone to the same appearance because he's convinced he has like one dude working for him. Or just, like, the beholders <laughs> think that all humans look the same. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that too. And it just kind of slowly morphs people into the same general appearance. Maybe not, like, exactly. Or maybe the people that have worked there long enough do look identical. That's a... Man, there's so much you can do with beholders. I love them. This shit's hilarious. Which one are you? I'm Frank, sir. You look like Bill. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and Charlie. We need Other some more names. diverse hires. <laughs> with how weird they are, I feel like you need to come up with, you know, with any villain, you need to come up with their motivations or their goals, right? And since we've been we've been thinking about the social one a lot, I think it, it can definitely work to have one, you know, who wants to acquire power, but that's never enough. Why do they want power? What, are, what specific goals are they trying to achieve with that power? I think I can... Sort of like the idea of one who is aware they're perfect, but maybe they want to be more perfect. And yes, that's a nonsense statement, but a beholder would make sense of it. So maybe they are trying to find ways to augment themselves. Maybe they're trying to reproduce in a way that's safe. I don't know. I feel like I don't have too many ideas for what a beholder's goal could be. What about you guys? I So the idea that they're the perfect... It... For me, it comes back to the idea of the perfect thing again, and that they're they're convinced that they're the perfect being, and they want and they want to prove it. Uh-huh. Um, they need to prove it because their greatest fear is that they're wrong. Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of their motivation stem from um, proving that they're the ultimate being and. How they do that is maybe they kill all the other beholders, or maybe they yeah take over the world, or just like something the ultimate Napoleon complex. Mm. Here's my bit. So we got one beholder, right? 
two beholders, all both occupying the same general territory, and they have the most incredibly petty dispute. Like, beholders already don't like each other very much uh, in general. But, like, one, one beholder has a, a, a pet dog that it loves dearly, another one has a pet cat that they love dearly, and they just... They cannot stand that the other one likes cats more than dogs or dogs more dogs than cats. Dogs are superior! No, cats uh, are superior. And they, they just, they have this endless war with one another to, to, you know, and they have to amass more power to surpass the other to prove that canines are the superior mammals! <laughs> it should be like, like something even more petty. And I... I, I don't know if I can think of an example, but I, I love that idea. It's something so stupid, and so many people have died over it. Maybe maybe one baked some like some cinnamon rolls for the other one, and the other one only only loved them. He didn't. He, yeah. He, he didn't change his life to eat it. How dare you insult my cinnamon rolls? <laughs> it should be left to be being so stupid. And there's like a full-scale war happening because of it. Wait, so why, why, why are you guys fighting? Oh, um, the boss doesn't like mustard. <laughs> Did someone give him mustard? No, he found out there's a, a guy in town that sells mustard. And he, and he works for another beholder who really likes mustard. <laughs> then why, why are you fighting? It pays good. Yeah. <laughs> And my beard looks better than it ever has. And the boss won't <laughs> hunt me down and disintegrate me if I... Yeah. yeah. So how's your day going? What is what is your name again? Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, so I think, like... Bullholders are great. They have so much potential. They're so weird. I think they can be in a, a good, like breath of fresh air if you've been having a maybe a darker campaign or a heavier campaign the beholders are still a serious threat but i think there's an inherent goofiness that comes with them you can still have a very threatening villain that that needs some serious thought putting into taking them down but they're so weird they're so fun i think most parties would enjoy go going up against one yep i uh Agreed. beholders are a great they're very versatile very flexible they can they can be that weird goofy villain that we've been uh, having a lot of fun with for the past hour. They can also be uh, sort of dark, threatening, and terrifying, and they're just classic. Uh, they're, they're they're this iconic uh, type of villain that's just has this incredibly fun, unique type of fighting style, and there's just so much you can do with it. I like the idea of using them as benefactors, patrons too, oh, yeah. and um, doing. Because I, I feel like the only thing that, in my mind, that surpasses fighting a beholder is working for one. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's really fun, because, like, everyone knows Xanathar is a beholder, but if they have this weird, mysterious patron they haven't met, who keeps giving them bizarre orders, like, kill every chicken in this town, or fetch me every mustard vendor... <laughs> Yeah, the party might be more like, "What is our dude's deal? Like, he pays really well, but why is he having us do these things?" That's really fun. Uh, Guys, you know what I just found out? What did you find out? Our this podcast has a Twitter account. I couldn't believe. No, it. no way. I went, how I went, how do you find it? Well, I went to twitter.com/slash the order of init and it was there it is it's right there and you can even submit questions to this our podcast 
Wow. Egads. I know, right? It changed my life. I've never been the same since. I should go to the twitter.com at the order of initiative. <laughs> I-N-I-T. I apologize. I ruined the bit. This is a bit? The twitter.com at the order of I-N-I-T and submit a question myself that I can answer later. Wow. Okay, we got to bail. This is a train wreck. We <laughs> we, it's, it's an absolute catastrophe. See you next week. Unless we don't record, in which case, see you eventually. Bye. Bye. Bye.